Welcome back to Asians Represent. My name is Daniel, and I'll keep this introduction very, very brief. On episode nine of the wrap up, are the show we stream live uh, on Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv/aznsrep. Uh, you can also catch it on YouTube the following Monday at youtube.com/aznsrepresent. Um, we talked about religion and how religion is portrayed in TTRPGs like D&D and other systems, and how faith is used at the table, how faith is introduced into our stories, and how faith can drive uh, characters forward. It's a conversation that we thought was very important to be had, um, and we decided to put it on this podcast feed. We don't normally put the wrap-up audio. Actually, we have never put the wrap-up audio on our podcast feed. And so we decided to do it for this episode uh, simply because we thought it was important and we wanted, um, we wanted everyone to be able to enjoy the, the lessons that we all learned. Uh, our guests are all familiar voices of Asians Represent. Uh, we had Emma and Austin, who you will recognize from our care tour, the Eastern Realms read-through, and we had returning to the podcast, Mariam. Uh, Mariam is the creator of Sarzamine, a campaign setting that you learned about in a very early episode of Asians Represent. It was a bonus episode. Uh, so it's a deep cut. Go back and check that one out. Um, that said, we had an amazing conversation about faith, religion, culture, and I hope you really enjoy it. So please give it up for Emma, Miriam, Austin, and my amazing co-hosts, Steve and Agatha. We're going to be talking about religion today because, you know, religion plays a very important role in the lives of people around the world. Um, it plays, you know, varying and dynamic roles in, you know, the decisions that we make in life. And there are also those who might be, you know, religiously unaffiliated as well. So for today's episode of The Wrap-Up, we're going to examine the use of religion in TTRPGs like D&D, you know, how they guide our stories or how they might not, um, and more. We're going to try to squeeze in as much as possible in this two-hour episode. Um, and, you know, if we don't finish anything or if there are uh, topics that have or questions that have been left unanswered, well, we've always got next Friday. Um, so to start, and I've posted an agenda in our chat, panelists in our chat, uh, and I'd actually like to establish two baselines. The first baseline is more of like a, an intellectual and experiential baseline. And it's, well, what is culture and what is religion? Um, those are two things that are going to pop up in this conversation and the conversations that we are going to have in the future. So I'd like to establish a baseline on those. What do we perceive culture and religion to be? And they, of course, uh, you know, very interconnected. So I want to do that baseline. And then I want to establish a gaming baseline, right? So what, what have our experiences with religion in games been like? That's like video games and TTRPGs. And then from there, we'll kind of see where the conversation takes us. But I, I first want to start with culture, and I want to kind of extend this to the group. What is culture? Right? And this is you know, a topic that has been hotly debated by anthropologists and continues to be debated by anthropologists to this day. But for, for us, what is our personal definition of culture? When we talk about culture in TTRPGs, when we talk about our own cultures, when we are portraying cultures in our stories, what is the definition of culture that underlies all of that? 
and and take some time to think. There there will be yeah. dead air in this. Um, I'll start with mine, right? Um, and this might evolve over the course of this conversation, but but to me, culture is very much a shared set of you know values, ideas, rules of behavior, and concepts that allow a social group to basically perpetuate itself, function as a whole. Now. All of these things, all these things that I've listed, like values and ideas, can either be explicit, right, through mechanisms like religion, or they could be implicit, right? So it's basically knowledge of how that people use to live their lives the way they live that their lives, right? So, so what is culture to the rest of you? I think, like, in addition to that, it would also include a material component of the things that have been made, the things that have been left behind, the things that are passed on. And it's not because I took some, I took an art history course that was called uh, History of Material Culture or anything like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I would add that culture is the expression of mm-hmm. beliefs and socially con- well, constructed or just like agreed upon things that uh it it has that social element kind of has to have other people involved and that it's not just internal beliefs it is the outward materialization of how that group is doing you know yeah. <laughs> the community yeah. yeah so you know it, it like like Miriam said it, it will have those you know tangible elements things you can interact with. Um, that, that includes food. Food is a big one that we've talked about on this stream and we have consumed live on this stream. Food is an integral part of culture, right? And, you know, um, and it's not just what you eat, it's the ingredients that go into it and the processes that are involved in obtaining those ingredients, right? And the value of those ingredients, like socially as well as, you know, dietarily, right? So we haven't heard from Austin, Austin, what about you? I'm going to take a a slightly different track. Uh, For me, defining culture, I tend to feel like it it's it's a microcosm of of a broader societal picture and how how groups within a larger society. And this is very much informed by our kind of modern life of of these larger imperial nations that we all live under. Um, It's how smaller groups within a broader societal organization have adapted to survive and thrive in the environments that they exist in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I know that that definition is definitely going to come up later in our conversations of religion and the ancient world. Um, how about you, Steve? A couple of words kind of resonated with here. So I'm, I'm nodding along with everyone because um, when you ask that question, I'm like, I don't know. But <laughs> the words that really resonated with me, Mary, you have mentioned community. I was going to say like aspects signifiers that make you feel like belonged or like you have a sense of belonging, but community I like better because a lot of cultural, something that culture can do is also reject people. And so it's the opposite of belonging. It's the unbelonging. And I think community is better at encompassing that idea as well. Um, And of course that can cause a lot of harm and whatnot. Um, I'm actually going to stop talking there because this, this topic has like a lot of 
stuff that needs to go on in my brain and I'm not comfortable hundred percent just sharing it right now. So I'll stop there. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I would love to eventually, and maybe not today, go back to that, that idea of harm. Um, and that idea of that, that you have kind of put forth of culture being a, a mechanism for harm. Um, I'm sure there are going to be people who disagree with this. Um, this is something that I think we should talk about. And that's the idea of, you know, culture being a mechanism for creating social connectivity, right? And that social connectivity, like we've talked about, manifests in very different ways. And one of those- Connectivity and disassociation. And disassociation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And I think that's kind of what Steve was, was tying into, right? And now one of the mechanisms that kind of disassociates people, let's, let's continue to use that and, you know, kind of connects people or arranges people into groups is religion, right? So what is religion, right? Um, between the six of us, we have all uh, experienced religion in very different ways in our lives. For me, I am, I am not a religious person. Um, I would, I guess, consider myself a spiritual person. But, you know, in all of my travels um, and all of my studies, I have encountered many religions and have learned so much from all of them. Um, but I would love to dive into now that we kind of have a baseline understanding of what everyone else here is thinking about culture. I want to know what everyone else is thinking about religion. What is religion to you? Right. Is religion a, um, a, a system that establishes um, motivations? Is it a, a system that basically uh, conceptualizes an order of existence? Um, what is religion? So this one, I'm like pretty confident in my idea of this. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like identity and whatnot comes with how you see yourself, how you see others and whatnot. But I think religion, I can very confidently say, specifically deals with concepts that are divine. Uh, and I use that word very specifically because I can't think of a better word that describes this kind of maybe cosmolo- cosmological, like this, this idea of like the cosmos, much things much greater than you. Um, I feel like religion very specifically helps people and helps cultures um, to decide where they might fall within that divinity itself. Um, I think that definition also leaves a lot of interpretation and allows a wide breadth of different views of what it means to be divine. And I think that is why I'm so confident in saying that's how I see religion. So to, to kind of condense that into a single sentence, to you, religion is um, order that governs reality. Do you think it would be that? As it kind of relates to cosmology. No, I don't. I think that's actually quite specific for kind of how I feel about divinity. I don't necessarily see divinity as a natural order, um, but I do see it as something greater than individual people. Mm, Okay, cool. Anyone else? Anyone else want to want to add to this? I can go. Yeah. Um, All right. So a bit of background. I grew up a a Catholic. I went to parochial school uh, through high school and uh, I am... I'm what would be considered a lapsed Catholic or a recovering Catholic, depending on which term you prefer. Uh, For me, a lot of my early religious associations and kind of where a lot of what religion seemed to be working toward is death. Catholicism, at least, has a lot of emphasis on death and, and, and the afterlife that, that is promised to come. Uh, A lot of what, 
I say we just because I, I am still culturally Catholic and I do still have that association. A lot of what we believe is uh, based around that kind of idea of good works rewarded by salvation in the ap- afterlife. Um, and of course, guilt. Uh, Catholicism is especially concerned with making you feel really bad about your bad choices is probably the best way I could say that. Um, so that was a lot of my early association uh, growing up, um, coming coming from a very poor parish, a very uh, ethnically diverse, I believe we were the most ethnically diverse parish in the archdiocese and also the poorest, funny how that works. Um, and then from there moving to a, uh, rich white Catholic high school, uh, which is very much a different experience. Um, generally, the a lot of the the piety I see in the more minority focused church had a lot more of the, you know, you will be rewarded in the afterlife. Um, the, the nobility of suffering comes up a lot. Uh, and then in the richer parish, it, it's kind of an interesting changeover. Um, where even though humility is is expected in the religion, it's not nearly as often emphasized uh, when you know you've got a bunch of rich white kids. Um, but yeah, moving moving away from that, I do I do generally even today experience religion through the outlook of death. What happens after we die? Um, I don't really necessarily ascribe to the Catholic beliefs anymore. I'm I'm a big fan of reincarnation, and that I don't say I believe in it, but I kind of hope that that's what's coming for me, just because that's that's the option that is most appealing to me personally. But um, for me, religion has always been about death and what comes after death. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but Austin, I feel like this is going to come up later, but I wanted to share with you. I also went to a Catholic high school. Um, My family is not Catholic or Christian uh, at all, Um, though they sometimes say things and I'm like, where did this come from? Anyways, uh, I went to a Catholic school by my own volition. I went out of grade school and I'm like, I want to go to Catholic school because I wanted the benefits of rich white kids. Um, I just assumed that if I went to a Catholic school, this particular Catholic school, I would get a lot of the benefits and set myself up for future success. Um, So a lot of like, I also have very complex emotions, some positive, some negative about Catholicism in general. I wanted to say- Yeah, and our our education's very, very highly regarded. So, you know, it was a very, very good if pragmatic decision on your part. I want to segue into a really weird thing of I too went to a Catholic high school. I am Muslim in, and I was in a Muslim country. Um, and it was one of my most liberal experiences of high school. Uh, How many of us went to Catholic and, high schools? Because I did too. And, um, I Wait, did oh not get any particular benefits of um, what no- in North America you would get because it was a mostly brown country um, and uh, Catholic schools would have an emphasis of having Catholic students. But I went there because my friends were going to go there and I didn't want to be left behind in my old school. Hmm. It's interesting with the Catholic education, especially um, a lot of our schools are run by Jesuits who are probably the coolest of the Catholic clergy. Uh, not all, but many. Uh, and and the the more liberal scholarly education is really an emphasis. And that's why 
in part, Catholic schools have such a good reputation. I always say that, you know, Catholic school taught me that I didn't need to be Catholic. And, and I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I am mostly serious in that, you know, in my education, they, uh, they, they were open about the idea that Catholicism isn't the only right way to get to God and to get to a proper afterlife. The, there is an emphasis on the good works uh, and something that I, I still appreciate about the church, even if the church often fails to walk the walk. Um, just the, the idea of you being judged by the good works that you do and the good that you bring to the world, I think is very powerful and relevant even today. Mm. Mary, Mary, Sa- Sailor Palavin saying Jesuits are terrifying. I'm like, oh no, you met the strict Jesuits. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but Mary, I mean, you already talked about a little bit of kind of your background and kind of how this kind of formed up for you. So mm-hmm. would you be comfortable going next of like, sure. you know, what is religion? For me, religion, it's, it's one of those things where I call myself as chaotic liminal um, and religion is no different for me. Uh, because I grew up, like, I, I was born Muslim. Uh, my parents tried to teach me their faith the best way they could, but due to other dysfunctions, didn't really get to that part. Um, so left it to the school I was in to teach me where Islamic studies was compulsory. And um, uh, I didn't feel I fit. And as I got older and older and... Um, met people who were more agnostic or spiritual, even atheist, um, the more I started to realize that religion is religion is a type of community and it is a type of a culture and it there's no monolith as much as people try to make a monolith. Like the people who are self-appointed um, religious leaders because in islam we don't have like a pope or anything there's no centralizing of islam so do not believe people when they say that islam is only this one way and only this way um and the other thing about islam is that it's religious holidays because it's a lunar calendar that is 13 days shorter than the gregorian it goes through all the seasons and it goes back to the same date every 24, 25 years. So we don't have any seasonal fixation with our holidays. So our memories and our symbology for holidays is people and food and going to each other's houses, which kind of to some people, they like, especially in North America, they can't fathom that wait, you don't have a season attached to it. Like Christmas is like winter and all these things. Like, no, we, it, I've had, I've celebrated in December. I've celebrated in like June. For me, the most important thing is these type of foods, because this is what my family did and having coming and getting easy, which is like, you know, I, I really, um, uh, words. Um, it's a lot like the, uh, red, envelopes on the lunar new year of like we get money from all the the youngins get all the money from the biggins and like putting mendy on and and like going to each other's house and since eve is like three days long day one someone plays host and then day two the other person plays host and everybody goes to their place and for me it was always community and food and um yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it's like, if you try to tell me, well, what's religion? It's like, well, it really depends on the people. And the same religion can be very different between two different communities. I, I like that. And I, wa- I want us to hold on to that, especially when we dive into how religion is portrayed in D&D, right? How, how you really emphasize, well, like, you know, to me, religion is, my religious experience have, you know, depend on the people who I am around, right? Um, as a little preview, there is a thing that says, this is in the player's handbook. It's in the appendix. And it says, your DM determines which gods, if any, are worshipped in his or her campaign. They couldn't just use theirs. That would save them two words. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you, Miriam. That was my immediate thought. I know. They, I know. They have, they have a style guy in Miriam. Um, Jeez. Yeah. They, no comment. Um, <laughs> go pre-order Candle Keep Mysteries. Um, <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> Smooth segue. But they, but they have said that. This, so the, in D&D, and I want us to go back to this. We'll, we'll touch on this later. They have said, your DM determines which gods, if any, are worshipped in their campaign. I'm going to make an amendment there, D&D Beyond, um, are worshipped in their campaign, right? Based on your definition and experience with religion, that wouldn't fit with D&Ds. And I want to go back to player agency when it comes to religion. When we I talk am about TTRPGs, worst nightmare. When I think we are. I think. Like I think <laughs> if oh, you, the, if you, you're the best. You're the best. I think that if you took the the GM instructions from the player's handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual, and you turned that into a person, I think we would all be that person's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> like my my agnostic setting basically says do whatever you want as long as you're not oppressing other people and it's just like okay you want me to pay you money just for those two lines it's like i mean it's your choice you, you know you know what's funny um uh in another D book um the uh they say baldurians are permitted to worship whatever deities they wish so long as they refrain from violent acts and practices that disrupt trade contradictions um that's a let, let's get back into you know our definitions of religion i just wanted to kind of preview that because that's something we sh- we need to discuss later on how our own individual definitions kind of might be might contrast those of the ttrpgs we've encountered or played uh so we've had like death we've had food and community let's just go let, let's just let's say, let's just get the bottom. Let's go to Emma next. At the bottom. Well, I mean the bottom yeah, of our of our, our, of our overlay. Of okay. overlay. Sorry. <laughs> Wait Sorry. a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Bottom of our overlay. We're finishing up okay, this row. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. All right. Our poor uh, listeners on the podcast. I think an important uh, distinction for me is that there's like lowercase r religion and then there's uppercase r religion. So there is, for me, like religion in general is a shared cosmology. And what's interesting is it exists simultaneously on the local level as well as a global level. So it's something that you share with a very small community very closely, but they can also connect to a larger community of people that you may never meet. Like there's this interesting interaction between highly like focused and also very broad. Uh, but then there's capital R religion, which is organized religion, which is like 
specific kinds of communities and rules that exist uh, in almost independently of the cosmology. Like one church can have a particular set of things that it takes from that cosmology and makes it into a codified set of beliefs and laws that are followed by the community or the congregation. Like, so for me, like religion and organized religion are very different. And uh, I, it gets a little confusing because for me, I grew up uh, Shin Buddhist, <laughs> then went to a Catholic high school <laughs> and was surrounded by like mostly Protestant people. But uh, Buddhism and Shin Buddhism is highly influenced by Shintoism. These are two religions that are not organized religions. <laughs> There are communities and everything else around that, but a lot of times for Shin Buddhism, it becomes the Japanese Canadian community center. It's not just like temple or a church. Like there's a lot of blurring going on. And so for me growing up, religion was like, just uh, don't be a jerk. Your general, <laughs> almost like social guidelines for how you behave around other people. Cause like, that's what you got for Buddhism mm -hmm. for the most part, like do as little harm as possible. If you want to benefit in the next life, you know? Right. Right. So like, uh, like rules governing behavior. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. So then we've got Emma. I mean, so we've had, we had Emma and now it's Agatha and Steve who would like to go next. Um, I think this is a pretty complicated question because mm -hmm. in terms of what I believe personally versus a kind of objective definition of what religion generally is, mm -hmm. is very different um, because I, I am a Protestant Christian. And so obviously what I believe follows a lot of the tenets, right? So, so for me, that is a very personal thing to me. But if we're just talking about like, what is generally religion i would agree with what everyone has said already mm -hmm. about like if there's a cultural aspect there's community aspect and then there's behavioral aspect and for me that is how i would think about it when i am talking about it in general cool it's steve I went first, my dude. Oh, duh. Sorry. It's, it's... <laughs> no, sorry. I, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But, but like, I just want to comment that like everyone's thoughts here were like so provoking. I'm already feeling like very much mm -hmm. like feeling more with my heart than my head, which is good. I think in these conversations, Aww. it will, Aww. that only goes to a point at some point, my brain needs to like actually chip in, but um, <laughs> no, that's okay. Know, as a, as a comment to something you said earlier, Daniel, this is a topic that cannot possibly ever be covered in two hours. So I'm already feeling that, uh, yeah, that's so true. It's painfully so, true. So are we going to do another 40 hour series, Steve? Uh, people have done more in the past when talking about religion. It's true. It's, it, I mean, there are entire academic disciplines and intellectual pursuits about it. Um, podcasts. Yeah, I, I, I will entire say. theses nailed to the doors of churches, centuries yep. of theology. <laughs> exactly. So, so I think between everything that we've said, there are a couple of elements that bind them all together, right? There's cosmology, with Steve, which Steve talked about, right? There is this, like, particularly in this in the case of gaming, which is where I kind of want to drive the conversation now. It's this like 
this origin or history of the world? What, what, what was creation in our game world? Uh, what is, like I said earlier, that, that order that governs reality, right? Um, we didn't really talk about supernatural belief, but supernatural belief is something that is, um, features very prominently in TTRPGs and the religions within the TTRPG campaign settings. Uh, we talked heavily about like rules governing behavior. This could be like the foods we eat, how we perceive death, you know, rituals uh, or I guess rights involving death. There are also like obviously different religions and different cultures have different rites of passage. You know, how you, um, is a, how you transition from different life stages. Uh, you have like rites of intensification. These are things that we've talked about. Uh, things that bring the community together, right? Like Steve, you said earlier things that bind the community, but also things that exclude people from the community or disassociate people from the community, like Austin said. And then the last one is ritual, right? Practices that serve a religious purpose, right? And in some religions like capital R or lowercase r, these can, we talk about, you know, how practice can generally be supervised by a religious specialist. Now, that said, you know, everything that you folks said, all the elements of religion that you folks had added to this sort of wrap up definition of religion, uh, I want to establish a gaming baseline. And it's like, well, how is religion portrayed in the games that we consume? Right. Uh, for a lot of, you know, RPGs, if we're talking about like, you know, like I think what was the Pathfinder game? Kingmaker? Is that is that the Pathfinder? Kingmaker's one Kingmaker. Of them. Kingmaker King, like uh, Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning, Baldur's Gate. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, where are we? Where, I thought we were talking about TTRPGs. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into that. So okay. I'm talking about video games and like gaming in general, right? So in, Sorry, in video- you mentioned Amalur and I just remember that game breaking on me and not being able to progress and I've been slightly salty oh my gosh, about it same. all my life. Oh, we need to talk about where you got stuck because... I also, anyway, sorry. So I mentioned Amalur because I have very fond memories of beating that game in 2013. <laughs> um, the game is fun. I'll step back. But anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but I will say like in, in video games, you know, religion is often seen as like a choice you make at the beginning. It gives you a bonus and maybe a little bit of a, an ability. And that's basically it. In TTRPGs like D&D, in the player's handbook, it says, and, and I've brought it up in front of me, um, you know, religion is an important part of life in the worlds of the D&D multiverse. When gods walk the world, clerics channel divine power, evil cults perform dark sacrifices in subterranean lairs, and shining paladins stand like beacons against the darkness. It's hard to be ambivalent about the deities and deny their existence. Um, many so, people... Oh, go for oh, it. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, many people in the worlds of D&D worship different gods at different times and circumstances. People in the Forgotten Realms, for example, might pray to uh, Sune for luck in love, making an offering to Joaquin before heading to the market, and pray to appease Talos when a severe storm blows in, all in the same day. Many people have a favorite among the gods one whose ideals and teachings they make their own, and a few people dedicate themselves entirely to a single god, usually serving as a priest or champion of that god's ideals. Now, my, my experience with D&D has not been that, has not been what they've described. Uh, and we're talking about, I'm talking about multiple editions of D&D. Um, 
my experience in TTRPGs with religion is that I, especially D&D, I have to insert it in there if I want to. And everyone at the table has to be as equally invested in having you know, religion be a part of our game, whether or not your character participates in it. Um, but I'd like to know what, what everyone else's gaming baseline is with religion, be it in video games or TTRPGs. That's why I'm trying to include Emma with the video games thing. Well, I, I think I said this earlier, but my the most experience I have with seeing it in, like mechanized and in the setting is for L5R now, because we spent how many hours reading that? <laughs> Steve's 80, up, 84 years. It was 84 yeah. years. Yep. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> And now I don't know if that's how it always plays out, but I feel like you can't play L5R without having to interact with that version of religion because they've made it such strict, codified, social, political, economic laws. So I will, that's something. I will say that like <laughs> that aspect, like that very strict kind of, it's almost one-to-one really with real life religions. Um, you'll see that in D&D. Um, there's a lot more smoke and mirrors throughout it but if you take a deep breath, you will see like very real world religions just codified within Faerun for better or worse. Mm. So, uh, uh, oh, right, go ahead, well, please. I have a question about like why, like why have religion in D and D? Because I played a lot of games. I played a lot of games that are not TNT or, or Pathfinder. Um, never played Savage Worlds, so don't have an opinion on that. But like, I played a lot of games that I guess are more indie games, so they don't have that same publishing model of like having a lot of supplements where you make money that way with like all of these different backgrounds and stuff. And religion is just not a huge thing in them in general. Uh, like games that have a lot to do with supernatural games that have a lot to do with like even being in set in our current world. So for example, like um, urban shadows, which is about playing supernatural creatures, um, but it kind of like uh, vying for power within an urban setting. Like, and it's supposed to be, you're supposed to pick real life cities to set your game in. This is, and with that, the diversity of both culture and religion and, you know, socioeconomic levels. But that is all inherently coded into the game, but religion is not. So uh, I, do, I just, like, I don't, I don't understand as an actually religious person, like, I don't understand why this was so hardwired into into D&D also because like I assume D&D is very uh, strongly inspired by um, like Lord of the Rings and Lord of the Rings it, it's, it's not a re- religious like <laughs> it has it has a religious message but it's but religion is not treated the same way so I just these are just my questions I don't understand why it's a big thing. oh Miriam this is this is your okay Miriam Miriam has been okay, holding Mary's on to it? this okay Miriam has been holding on to this Miriam asked someone she's wiggling really wants to say something throughout Miriam asked before like hey can I do this rant and I'm like there's going to be a time and now is that time go <laughs> Uh, I will get to that specific rant, rant in a moment, but to answer your question specifically, I feel like 
Uh, it's from a couple of reasons. One is that D&D's root has always been in wargaming and individualizing war games. And okay. one of the most popular topics, I think, in war games, if you're going into historical things, is the Crusades. And with Lord of the Rings and all of those things, like it can kind of, you know, the religion thing came in. I'm not saying it's a direct thing. I'm just saying these are various sources that I feel came into the original game and then over time just copied over without any sort of like understanding where it's coming from and um people are just kind of building off on this history now without examining why does this history exist yeah i have a quick well i i can see that i think that makes sense but at the same time i that brings up more questions for me because the crusades is uh very much like a a christian thing right judeo-christian thing but but like in in D &D, again it's um it's much more like a like classical greco-roman sort of structure so i I think i think dd's got Oh, cool, awesome. you, oh yeah so um i actually i actually own the original D D box the white box <gasps> the um, white box oh yeah uh <laughs> it's um it, the classes are if memory serves uh wizard cleric and fighting men but uh my general understanding for kind of how D developed and someone someone can certainly in chat correct me if i'm wrong but the presence of the cleric specifically and the mechanical need to have healing uh, came about uh, and kind of in the flavor codified uh, with that association of the kind of that Judeo-Christian association of healing with faith and religion. Um, Jesus being, being that, you know, that central figure of that inspiration of someone who goes forth and who heals uh, and mystical healing being the domain of gods. Uh, so my my interpretation has always been kind of that the inclusion of religion in D and D's makeup is is in in no small part because of that association of the divine with the this necessary power to heal that was needed from a mechanical standpoint to to balance the game. Were paladins um, there in the fir- in that edition no. as well? Okay, no, no. so that was a much later thing. Uh, yeah, and, fi- you- and fighting men were like a group of warriors not just like a single fighter it was literally fighting men it's 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 quite a thing i, I, I will paladin I will used, sorry paladin used to be a prestige kind of idea like you grew oh, in okay. to become paladin okay. I, I will also say this there is this common we we hear it all the time that dnd grew out of wargaming um, but there was a little bit more nuance to it um D grew out of wargaming groups that were actually looking for more narrative um, so a lot of people are like, yeah, D and D is just people who want a war game. Uh, that's, that's a little bit of, it's very reductive. Um, there are a lot of war games, you know, back in the sixties and seventies that were like homebrew war games that emphasized narrative and story. Um, and that's how like Arneson and Gygax even met it's through these, these war gaming experiences, these small groups of, of dudes. Arneson were, was, was, as I understand, really the, the pioneer of the story, the, the story within mm-hmm. the D and D concept. Um, so, as, so. as most of the stories I hear goes, is Gygax had more of that war gaming route. And then Arneson had, had the, the more story driven, which Gygax loved. And then they the kind of all came together and, and, yep. and produced what we have now. 
and then the drama between the two. But that's a different that's a different podcast. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So so then my follow up question, I guess, unless I know you had somewhere else that you want to go with the conversation, but my question is is religion necessary to include as a the, the package of a game yeah that's so a I really get, good oh go ahead steve sorry thank you um so i get yeah. that. i actually wanted to to say that a question you the first question you posed of like the, the place of religion and like why it's even there and things like that uh is something i've struggled with personally um through all of my DD games like it's always been such like a weird thing to have in there I don't know why it's in there. I don't know what the game wants me to tell about religion. And now that I've like done this for over a decade, I've just decided that I'm going to use religion in the game, how I view religion, which is to say that it is very personal (laughs) and it's going to depend case by case by the individual character that is being played. So now, like if someone wants my game to play a cleric, I ask them like, what does faith actually mean? And I, I try to like play kind of cool, kind of suave, um, but I'm trying to met out, like, are you really interested in talking about faith? Because if you are, I'm willing to like set up the, the conditions and the constraints to allow you that framework to like really explore what it might mean to an individual person. Uh, but if they're not, if they're just kind of like, I want this faith because of D&D reasons, then I give them D&D reasons why they need to, which is uh, it gives you power. It gives you like mystical supernatural powers and you don't really need to go much deeper than that which it's valid but also generates a little bit of tension with me that i then need to like breathe and like work through which eh, it is what it is i i, I definitely think dnd is changing with how i regarding your question agatha with how it uh, approaches religion i mean on one end if you look at like older D&D characters, like if you look at the third edition character sheet, there's a little section that says deity. You have to identify which deity you worship, right? Which is a little, which I think they mean the deity that you favor since, you know, in polytheistic religions, you you kind of interact with many deities. Right. Um, but now in, in D&D, the way I kind of, the way I've always seen it in fifth edition, especially if you look at the religion skill, um, so if you look at the religion skill and what the definition of it is in the player's handbook um, or the basic rules, it says your intelligence religion check measures your ability to recall lore about deities, rites and prayers, religious hierarchies, holy symbols, and the practices of secret cults. Now, uh, the way I've always seen it, religion has been hard coded into D&D and games similar to D&D like Pathfinder as a way to help people tell stories. It's there as a mechanical reason for characters like clerics and paladins to have power and to help them manifest that power in a storytelling sense, right? Um, But it's also there to be like, to justify these secret cults that worship these deities that are in opposition or these mysterious symbols that you see, um, those tropes that we see in, in fantasy stories right? The cults, the evil priests, things like that. Uh, and and I've, I firmly believe that's why this is like so hard-coded into here. Um, because it's it's like you said, Agatha, it's, it's not really all that necessary. So basically, it in these, only this specific genre of games, which granted is a very huge part of the TTRPG um, con- cons- 
consumption uh like where it takes a huge chunk of the the kind of products that people consume it's basically there for obviously for the mechanic to flavor mechanics which is always fun uh i'm about that and also for plot hooks i guess and for like and it's basically it seems like it's just a shorthand for for people to decide how they want to role play um like a cultural background, except it's just flavored as a religious background instead. I, All right. Go ahead. I do want to mention too, there is there is another less savory aspect of the religion as incorporated into D and D. Um, I'm 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 not as familiar with how Five E handles it, but I know traditionally uh, one of the things that made groups like orcs acceptable targets to be slaughtered was that they worshipped an objectively evil god who needed to be put down. Um, so that is another, I think, important aspect to acknowledge and as to how D&D does treat religion, uh, not, only, uh, not only from the means to gain power, but also a way to divide the world into the righteous and the, the villain. Yeah, because so to the, the... give... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say, like, the deities in D&D, there were guidelines to be like, okay, if you worship this deity, your alignment is generally going to be this. Right. So it's to give people, like, a moral high ground for making mm-hmm. certain, for, like, for the things that they will do in playing a game anyway. For paladins in third edition specifically, it basically you could only have your powers if you followed certain guidelines based on who your god uh, or deity is. And if 3. you stray from it, oh, yeah. Yeah. you gotta be and you gotta be lawful straight, good. If you, I've played I've played uh, neutral ones; they're quite fun. Uh, <laughs> um, but also, um, if you did anything or your party members did anything that went against that moral code, you would lose your powers. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm playing Baldur's Gate with my partner and his family right now. (laughs) And his dad is playing a paladin. (laughs) We keep on having to remake decisions so he can remain a paladin. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually really amazing to me. And that has always been, like, interesting to me because it's kind of like, like, if if the six of us were, like, I don't know, going going to the cottage or like going like doing something it was like that was our adventure and like i just made a decision that was like morally opposed to someone's religious beliefs would that make you like lose everything basically that like defined who you were and i'm like what what message are you trying to say in dnd about this and, and i could never i could never answer that <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the thing that I said about lawful good was that in 3rd edition D&D, if you were a paladin, you had to be lawful good. And if you were not lawful good, you would lose your powers. Unless you bought the extra book. Unless you bought the extra book. There are like three of them, too. I feel like that's important to call out. You could buy the extra book. And like, you could also yeah. not be that. Yeah, well, there's a thing. like Having religion in your game also serves the purpose of and I, I say this with air quotes for the podcast listeners, justifying the existence of the supernatural and not even justifying, like explaining the existence of the supernatural, right? If we're going to have demons and angels, does that mean we must also have religion to go with it? And the religion in D&D doesn't even really <laughs> See, explain that. This is where I get a little 
I don't know if I'd say confused, but the intersection between supernatural and religion in a lot of TTRPG hood, I can't say that, no. In the ones that I've looked at <laughs> and heard about, so L5R and then some of the D&D stuff, is, yeah, it, it doesn't really work with my concept of supernatural, which can exist and does exist independent of religion. And that religion then exists to help people interact with and interpret the supernatural in different ways. So each religion is different. And part of how it's different is its views of and relationship with the supernatural. And for me, supernatural doesn't just mean like deities, demons, or religious mythos kind of stuff. Like it's everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't understand this whole, you have to be like a priestly or religious class in order to have supernatural powers because like, no. <laughs> yeah. and, and, they, and, they, and they've started to take things like that away. Um, yeah. I mean, like paladins can can now be a- any alignment really in D anD. Um, they've kind of take with like the hard rules, but yeah, there is still the you must like faith has to be a, a core or fund- fundamental part of your character in order for you to access the things that let you whack things they on the head with power. Yeah, or you know, not be like I don't know, sentenced to whatever it is, not hell, but purgatory or whatever i can't not use christian terms for this and 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 the thing is that there are um groups of creatures that have really deep christian roots like demons devils angels like celestials and for me especially and this is now i'm going a little into my experience in writing and especially writing to people who their first game will probably be D&D of explaining when I say demons I do not mean D&D demons when I say Rakshas I do not definitely do not mean the D&D term of Rakshas they're very different terms in South Asian mythology and have nothing to do what the concept is and it's that working against what is already established to define it in a way that's like okay when you're playing this and you see these creatures these are not what you think you are yeah Yeah. so as a religious person um i have a question i guess specifically for miriam um i i'm actually i'm not just culturally christian i also believe other things like the not all the things (laughs) i believe uh (laughs) specific tenets uh in the bible and my like this is a thing where i don't care about but also because uh christianity is kind of like the majority and in like for example in like a lot of these games produced in the west right like but i don't necessarily want to see what i believe in reflected in some way in a game that i'm playing in fact that makes me very uncomfortable um and i feel like a lot of times like dealing with divinity or um things that have to do with religious structures it makes me uncomfortable uh when i play a game so i would much prefer personally i would much rather have it not (laughs) be a part of the game that i have to use or interact with actually this was one of the reasons why i was trying to play uh dungeon world with some of my my church friends and then they were so uncomfortable with like the the religious aspect that you have to engage with in the game that we ended up 
like we ended up not playing it anymore because of that reason when it's completely fair but i think for a lot of us it's kind of like but the, at the same time there i have a lot of christian friends or friends of other like religious backgrounds who are very comfortable with it but my question is like like so this is where i'm coming from like i don't want it in my game like that is a very integral part of my life in real life but a game is a different thing and i feel like the way i i don't know how people are going to perceive it or interact with it and a lot of times there are things that i don't agree with but i can't say anything about because we're creating this world together and then i'm like but i'm so uncomfortable but i guess let's move on so that's my question like and miriam i guess my question is for you like do you want to see like Muslim in games or like some kind of like equivalent of it that is called something else or Islam, sorry. It depends. It really depends. Like I want to see the cultural folklore um, against supernatural that's not necessarily divine in nature, but it's cultural folklore, superstitions, what you call it. I want to see those in the game because they're also a part of my identity and my culture and I want to see it. What I don't see, and this is a perfect time to get into that rant I've been waiting to get into. Yeah, I thought is, that was a segue. <laughs> uh, that was a perfect segue. Thank you. <laughs> um, is being blindsided by a term that in the real world has been used to vilify and demonize Muslims after 9-11 be used so casually and almost like just like the audacity to use it in a vampire game which is the word jihad which is like this sort of um secret war or struggle which yes technically jihad does mean struggle and they're in an islam there are two types of jihads one is a what would be a holy war of like when you're defending your faith um which was done in the early years of islam um for reasons and then there is the more um the 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 smaller one which to me really should be the bigger one which is your daily struggles with faith um internally of how you perceive it how you want to uh have it and how you um represent it um and it being used so audaciously in a game like that made me furious it's like how dare you demonize us willify us and then use it as something in your game how dare you yeah yeah so so it sucks when it's appropriation yes 100 percent. yeah and it and related to that and i think i brought this up in the l5r streams a bunch of times it just kind of is not great to see real world terms and ideas and things presented as fantasy uh, alongside a lot of other very fantastical things. And then it all comes back into that exoticizing orientalist approach to other people's cultures are exotic and interesting and mystical. And we'll use these terms to give it that flavor without paying attention to not only like people's understanding of this term, but also the history of how it's been talked about within 
the communities that use it and also by outsiders judging it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We talked many times on the L5R stream and other streams we've done about how portraying identities in like this very like cut and manufactured way does so much harm and religion is no different that when it's like packaged up in such a way to be used as this plaything, like you are erasing a lot of people's emotions and, and feelings towards these things. And um, the harm is quite significant, but it's also a kind of harm that's very easy to ignore. And that's, I think a big reason why we do those critical reads of all of these texts, because faith always comes up and faith is always ignored in the very nuanced ways that it affects real people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, if I, do you mind if I jump in a bit or did you want to, did you want to go Emma? Okay. Um, I, I mentioned this kind of as we were, as we were gearing up for the stream and I did want to talk about it a bit. Uh, I've always personally felt a pretty strong anti-theist current within kind of the construction of D&D from the design standpoint and a lot within the what one would would I guess associate with the typical community um, which has always been kind of interesting to me uh, just it feels like D&D despite despite a lot of especially in the modern construction trying trying you know not to take a stance honestly does tend to come come down politically more often than not on the religion bad category um especially like with Faerun and the the wall of the faithless which i feel needs to be mentioned where if if you if you don't worship a god you will be you will be nailed to this wall and you will your life force will sustain it and they will obliterate your soul like that like that's horrific that is <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. horrific and that is built into the core of the setting but yeah. it wasn't just if you don't worship one it's if you worship the wrong one if that one doesn't like you back i actually was thinking of making one of those yes no flow charts and it all right. kind of ends with you being nailed to the wall yeah. <laughs> to, the, to the wall Emma, you should make it you should. there is a sketch of the band what is it the pantheist cleric uh, where essentially it's a really funny skit and I'll share the link at some point of this guy coming to a game and being like well I'm a cleric of all these fates and therefore I have all these abilities and then um, the GM being like really this is how you want to play it and then it's like okay cool so you have this you have that but because that god hates that god you now have negative levels and then like and the entire skit is basically of how like you like the absurdity of it all. Don't forget your soul is also a currency yep. in the yes. divine realms, yes. which is like, excuse me, what? <laughs> that, is, that is a pervasive concept queen. in D&D &D too. The idea that gods uh, require worshipers even to survive. Um uh, so I guess it, in that respect, it tries to cast it as this kind of symbiotic thing, but there's, there's a pretty clear power imbalance here that uh, is, is, is uh, as a lot of these things are often just completely unaddressed. The, but, but in general, yeah, I've always, I've always felt that D&D &D specifically kind of hedges on uh, along the lines of religion bad. 
And I feel like that outlook prevents it from really presenting religion in a thoughtful and nuanced way. If you're coming right. from the paradigm that that a religion is a drag on society, uh, you don't really have have anywhere to go from there. You right. can't you can't from that spin a positive portrayal. And you know, I I absolutely agree that many organized religions do cause a lot of harm, but I can't ignore the fact that they cause a lot of good too. It's it, it's much like the human condition. It is a dichotomy and it is a complexity that I don't. I never really got the impression that the the D and D team was willing to acknowledge and and play out in 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 the way that it really deserved. Yeah, I think like religion at its root in D and D is very much just like a tool to create narrative tension, whether it be in power imbalances or literal like literal conflict. I think the one thing that I have yet to see. In a, in a TTRPG, and I am looking for recommendations from our audience and from the rest of you, is that idea of ritual. And it's always been something that I've been so curious about. Um, you know, they mentioned prayer, um, but ritual isn't something that features very heavily in D&D. And in fact, I can only think of one example of how ritual and religion intersect in D&D in, in, in a way. And that's the and that's the Eye of Grumsh. And it is in 3.5 D&D, and it's a prestige class. You have to be an orc, and you have to poke out one of your eyes. They take nice. out one of your eyes to be like Grumsh, the one-eyed god of the orcs. Um, and it's like one of the class prestige class prerequisites. And I thought that was interesting because it was like, if I want to play as this prestige class, I have to really engage with, with the lore or I have to really think about my character's story. Would my character do this? Is my character willing to sacrifice a part of their body to be more like their deity? Um, so so I, I need to pause there because there's another god in D&D that also has an eye that has been cut out and also missing a hand. Uh, and it's, oh, Vecna, yeah. But also Tyr is missing an eye. Oh, yeah. And hand. Yeah. It? And hand. But, but, the, but, the, but, the, but these are all gods that they've appropriated from. So the, the yeah. reason I want to call this up, because we've talked about orcs many times. The fact that the orc god requires its worshippers to cut out an eye, but the tier worshippers don't. Like that, let that like disparity. Also, like, I got <laughs> I, I also think that's problems. Be, like I don't need to yeah. eyes Yeah, let's stop that. Let's stop that. Let's <laughs> let's pull back on the eye thing. But let's just say that like I think that's really a case because they made a prestige class around this DD god. I don't know right. if they would have done the same if they made like a a warrior of tear or uh children of Odin. I don't know if they would and, have done and, that. And and that's I feel like that is actually based more on like the savagery of how they want to portray mm -hmm. orcs. Hundred percent. Because in that because yes. in that edition of D and D, if you were also to play a barbarian, you have to be illiterate as well. That yes. was a requirement. Just the word barbarian. Why it was yeah. never my first sad. class. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get why why it's not just a fighter variant. Because Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Conan the Barbarian. I, I get it, but I don't Because get the it. connotations. Daniel and I have read through some of that stuff. And I 
after reading it, I understand exactly where they're drawing all of the, not all, but like a lot of the inspiration from. <laughs> it's not great, but I'm like, oh, I get it now. That's why there's yeah, always a barbarian yeah. class. <laughs> Yes, yeah, because I want to be Conan. I want to be on that wheel of pain, becoming strong. Oh. <laughs> although, I although everyone I, I I hear who who is into Conan says like the barbarian is a terrible way to represent Conan. So that's true. Um, so I feel like mm, I, it seems like the conclusion from everything that we're saying so far is that. Um, it could be interesting if there was nuance in terms of how uh, a game it allows you to engage with um, religion. And actually, I want to mention then um, Balak Bayan, uh, which is a game yeah. that we're playing <laughs> on Wednesdays um, right now on this channel. Um, it's run by Jamie, who is the creator of the game as well. It's a, it's a cyberpunk game, but it also... It ha- the way that the Jeremy, I just interviewed Jeremy, so now I'm like, oh, all these different ideas are so cool. There's there's a playbook in there that you can choose that's called The Saint. And the game is very rooted in Filipino identity and, um, and also in decolonizing uh, as a part of that identity. And the play it's so perfectly encapsulated in the playbook of the saint, which is, and so Jamie told me that they decided to include that because you, it's so rooted in being Filipino and like the whole like Catholic aspect of things that it would be remiss to like not have it. But at the same time, what they did was instead of being a saint of, of Catholicism, um, you would be a saint of little gods, which uh, I I don't know the details of it. So um, if there's any mistakes, it's on me. But Jeremy said that this is a part of the 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 this kind of like um, the different saints that you can believe in that like uh, they o- oversee different areas of life, um, or it's some it, there's like in intersection between like the idea of saints and then the idea of these like deities right um and you get to choose like what little gods your your saint can um can interact with and or believe in or draw power from and i found that really interesting because it is it's both taking that part of the the heritage and like the baggage of like of this history and also um, reclaiming a, a different part of like Filipino folklore and culture within that playbook. And so, um, and actually uh, John, who is one of the players in the game chose um, that specific playbook. And it's been very interesting like watching that play out within the game. So I feel like in some instances, it is good um, to have that, as long as you give people a good context to draw from, and also the uh, the right kind of space to play in, and that it's a lot of work. <laughs> that is also true. Yeah, yeah and it's a conversation. Yeah, it's a conversation that has to happen at the table. Like, how how do you want this to look like? Like, if you're gonna play a character that's deeply religious. How is that going to affect the other players and everyone else's ability to tell a story too? 
and what does being religious mean for that mm -hmm. individual because it plays out in very different ways um yeah because i don't know everyone knows that religion is complicated but when you try to put it into a game you you tend to have to pare it back and make it manageable or systematic and like religion is not systematic right. <laughs> it most certainly is not and, and, and it's almost like you have to have oh sorry go ahead oh um i was just gonna sort of like and to reiterate like even if we were to you know file off serial numbers of our real world uh, uh religions and cultural understandings of it like even in like i would Hinduism for as an example um, the way one god is revered and worshipped and rituals and the even the different festivals vary very differently from each region like in October you have Diwali or what would be the equivalent of a harvest festival because in research I figured out most of these things have uh, a root in a harvest festival and you have Durga Pujo in Bengal, whereas you have essentially uh, Navratri in Gujarat, and they're all kind of leading to the same thing of they happen in October and November. They are kind of based on similar concepts, but the way they're celebrated, the way they're portrayed, the way everything's done is vastly different. So you can't have a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter thing to religion. You have to let um, each individual define it and in a kind of GM homework way it's less work for you and it's more engaging and meaningful to the players to let them define that so we've that's so we, we've talked about we, we've kind of put all of our conversation right now into D&D &D, but we've mentioned Balak Bayan which is like first of all I just want to say this like I haven't said it on stream or anything. This is like, this is just like a completely different cyberpunk than I have been yeah. exposed to. And I, I fucking love it. Um, it's so good. It's so good. It's so dare. Everyone should just watch the Balak Bayan series that we have on the YouTube channel. First of all, like Agatha, kudos to you for like producing it and taking lead on that. But also like you, I mean, you just said it. You would just record an interview with Jamie about Balak Bayan and, that cyberpunk and that's going to be on our podcast stream so yes if you aren't already subscribed you can subscribe on you know apple podcasts spotify or google podcasts um that will come out in, sometime this month uh yeah. steve were you gonna say something the yeah. the other day i was talking about Shadowrun because like I, I like Shadowrun, but i've been playing it for like years and people were like oh i can't wait to get into Shadowrun. you've really sold me on it and i'm like hey if you want to play cyberpunk maybe look at other things. Like I'm playing Shadowrun for very specific, specific reasons, right. but like Bally Bayan, like if you want to look for like cyberpunk and depending on the story you want to tell, Shadowrun might not be the game for you to be yeah. quite fun. <laughs> yeah, there are like a bunch of really good cyberpunk games. Like there's, I really like The Veil, which is by- uh, Fraser Simons. Games. Yeah, Fraser Simons. And there's, uh, where's the- there's another one that's specifically about heisting. Anyway, we can. It's called the sprawl. Yeah. Thank you. And, yeah, and like, the sprawl. I, I've been meaning to look into like uh, signal, or is it called the signal, or I forget what it is, but it's about like the radio signals giving you like supernatural abilities or superhuman abilities. Ooh. Oh, I want to. Like that. it's it's the idea that like the underground radio system is what gives you power 
over corporations. Oh, I think oh, that's kind of neat. Signals fascist or something like that. I think I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I, I in my head it's got the signal, but it could be love it. It absolutely could be called that. It's <laughs> also a great like album <laughs> name. See, I just thought but, of that game. Uh, Damn the man, save the music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is a different kind of game. But I actually now that I'm th- where we were talking about. Um, games and nuance um how how do you address like religion with nuance i think so far it seems to be that we're like well, maybe don't include it in there unless you're prepared to kind of like pour more resource into like making it nuanced and, and like for people to interact with and that reminds me of a game called uh monster 1244 based on the real life event uh like i think it's it's the Chateau de Montsegur, uh, where the Cathars were in, in 1244, and a bunch of them. It's actually a very tragic uh, event where a lot, a lot of them were uh, burned to death for like their beliefs. And this game is specifically about uh, the the people that were there. Um, well, I mean, but obviously, it's like different roles and different types of people that could have been there, and then their stories that they tell, and whether they choose to stay or not um, within this kind of like historically inspired game. And I've um, I haven't played it yet, but I've always wanted to. I've played other things within the same system, and it's really a game about how people relate to each other, about why you stay in a place about what you believe in the face of adversity both for yourself and for the people you care about and i actually feel like that is a really good game i've read through the game and it's it's an amazing exploration of faith actually um and i feel like it's very sensitively treated and also i think because the premise is so intense and tragic and also based on real life um it kind of automatically uh there's a word for it but like the people who choose to play it are kind of already mentally prepared to engage with it in a thoughtful way because that's literally what you have to do when you play this game and i feel like in a way that is a a really good way of doing it of exploring religion or one aspect of religion in a game in a tabletop role-playing game so so what i'm going to do is i'm going to link to all of these games that have been mentioned uh in the description of the youtube video or on the podcast um so that you folks can check out these games uh that said you know agatha you've mentioned a whole bunch right now emma has uh, emma has mentioned l5r not as a recommendation. <laughs> Not as a recommendation, but you have mentioned another game in discussion. It's so weird when I was watching you guys read the core book because religion uh, coming from the card game, like religion doesn't come up like yeah. ever. So I was like, what's all this religious crap doing in here? Where did all this come from? <laughs> and that's the thing, like they make the foundations of the game, the religion. Even yeah. though it kind of isn't, but they say it is. They're like, but she has a religion. I'm like, I don't believe religion. you. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This this idea that you have to start your game with a creation story, yeah. throw that away. Just like put it in the yeah. garbage. You do not need a creation <laughs> story. Garbage. Yeah. No, so, no. So, put it, seriously, put it in the garbage because unless you're going to talk about faith, don't start with a creation story. Like so, so I, I, I don't know how clear well, that can be. Yeah. 
Okay, so what are some because other? Well. <laughs> what are some other examples then of TTRPGs that you could, we could that either use? So, so Mariam has also mentioned World of Darkness. Um, so that either as use, an anti example as an yes. anti example. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that either use religion poorly, like L5R World of Darkness, um, or or use you know uh, faith and religion well, like Balak Bayan. Like, what are some other examples from from you know the rest of the panel? Like, I would love to know. Like, or or how have you incorporated it into your games? I ask this to uh, Steve and Austin. I. I'm 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 spending a considerable amount of money in my own world building because I'm building a modern fantasy where I want to be able to incorporate everyone's kind of cultural outlook and tradition. So I'm I'm literally like I have a list of, of like if I want to include something that looks like Judaism, I need to hire a bunch of people who are Jewish to do that. Um, so uh, look forward to that in a hundred years. Um, but uh, I feel like I do need to mention since they are bringing it back. Um, Crin, the world of Dragonlance, uh, more so in the early books, they really, really messed the cosmology up later, but it, I won't say it's good or bad. I will say it's interesting, um, because a lot of the initial idea behind Crin is, is the world, there's an apocalypse and people turn away from the gods um, and then the the kind of the the initial books that launched the series are in many part uh, in many ways about people realizing that it wasn't the gods who turned their backs on on mortals it was mortals who turned their backs on the gods and kind of finding that belief again uh, the setting was headlined by a mormon writer who is still very much involved in it um, so there's a lot of a lot of that perspective in it um but because because wizards is bringing back dean uh bringing back crin and Dragonlance, yeah. you mm -hmm. will see this again um and i i think there's value in looking at it i i i can read the chronicles today and i can really enjoy them for what they are um i i know just from like the annotations and the commentary that, for example, that Tracy Hickman did mission trips in Indonesia. And, and while yes, there's a, there's a certain white savior undercurrent. Um, I, I, I can at least tell from his world building that he wants to do well, uh, whether or not he does is certainly up for debate, but it's, it's interesting. I think it's worth looking at. Mm. How about you, Steve? So this is tricky for me because like in general, I don't think I've ever come across a tabletop RPG that's done faith in a way that like satisfies me. Like it feels good. I've done many things in Dungeons and Dragons to like make faith feel better for me, but that's all like on me and my groups. Like we've done this. And I think what it comes down to is that um, I feel like, D&D does a bad job of what I want faith to do. So I want faith to be the actions you do, which at a surface Dungeons and Dragons actually does. Like faith is an action and I like I'm super there for it. But then how it portrays those actions, I'm like, oh, I disagree. I don't like that. And it's not, it, it doesn't pair very well with how I perceive 
faith and divinity and cosmology and, and, and a greater sense of being in my own life. So it's like, uh, not great. But over this week, I've been thinking a lot about like times when I felt like a game has like talked about faith in a way that like I really resonate with. And it's, I don't know. I don't know if listeners are going to be like, Oh, that makes sense or not, but it's mass effect two with Legion who is a geth. And this is like a deep, deep cut, but without going into detail, the geth uh, are an AI and they have reached singularity. They've reached sentience and they wipe out their oppressors completely and make them leave the entire planet. And the geth are like, we can be our own people. We can like do what we want. Now we are free. And what they do with their freedom is they decide to not touch the planet anymore and they don't know why they just can never touch that planet and they let it, let it be as it is and go seek freedom elsewhere. And when you probe Legion who has the collective AI all within him. So he's like, he's a collection of geth stories. When you probe him about it, he's like the closest thing I can describe this as is a grave. And he's like, we don't know why we've decided to do this, but we know we had to. And we've decided that that planet is a sacred site and we will never touch it again. Knowing that they had done a horrible, horrible violence. I don't know the people. And they I'm never see if I'm having Legion feelings again. It's all your fault. <laughs> yeah, I got to go back and play Mass Effect 2 again. <laughs> the fact yeah, that everyone's is, like, no. Legion, Legion has, understands an action. Legion has like talked about the action and Legion doesn't understand it, but he knows that their actions, they are rooted within a, a purpose greater than the individual. And to, to tie it all back to the idea of divinity and things greater than yourself, that is the greatest religious experience I've ever experienced in a video game. Do we, do we, should we be streaming Mass Effect 2 when it, the remaster drops on this oh channel? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, yeah. But just, oh, just Mass Effect 2. You can, you can kind of let the other two go. Who cares yeah. about the other two, yeah. yeah. Oh, I like the first one too. Okay. But, um, I have yet to play those. They're great. First one's pretty first good. It's messy. Two, 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 is the, two is the peak. Miriam, I hope I have sold you on it because like that conversation with Legion, it. it's like mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Like it's just 10 minutes of the game, but 100% makes everything worth it. But yes, you also good. get other characters who like dive into identity in ways that, in my opinion, up to that point, have never been, dis- been like explored. So, yeah. No spoilers. Um, I, I know that I've been really like, I want to talk about more games, but I do want to recommend to the viewer um, actually two more games that specifically are dealing with uh, uh, real life religions, I guess. Not dealing with, but exploring that. So one of them is Dogs in the Vineyard, a classic game by, <laughs> by Vincent Baker. And this one is about uh, where you're playing like it's, I mean, it's, it's inspired by, it's obviously can't encap- encapsulate the whole experience, but it's kind of um, inspired by like uh, Mormonism during, like, I think of a very specific period of time in Utah and you play as like the enforcers that go around into these communities and then you deal with like issues and you're kind of like law givers and, or, um, uh, yeah so basically that's kind of like one game that talks about that i haven't played it so i can't 
really say how well it explores it, but I think um, I, I remember listening to uh, an interview that's hard, where he talks about like why he decided to choose that and then who he talked to in order to kind of create this game. And another game is called Dream Apart and you can buy it. It's like Dream Askew and Dream Apart are two, two of the same set um, that you can buy. Um, this one is by uh, uh, Jer Jer Jeremy Benjamin. Benjamin Rosenbaum. Um, and uh, this is where you play, um, uh, you play like a, as in this like fantastical version of this Jewish shtetl, um, like in kind of like Eastern European countryside. And then it's like all of these, and it's a belonging outside belonging game, just like Balak Bayan, where these, these games are exploring like how you belong outside of like the status quo or like you play as people who are creating their own communities on the margins and so this is a story like that too and it's a very very jewish um uh experience and it's super cool so i i do recommend this one for sure and i think in terms of reading i think dogs in the vineyard is also a very interesting thing to read as well it, it's also worth noting that dogs in the vineyard is out of print you can no longer buy dogs in the vineyard yeah. You get a uh, so JK. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. They don't. They don't sell it anymore because Vincent didn't like the setting. He was dissatisfied with it, and he yeah. it's out of print now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do yeah. think that it's still interesting to to like read them as references, as like how have they been done before, right? If you can get your hands on it through truly legal means, please do so. Um, <laughs> I have one, and it's one that I, I constantly am like. I'm at odds with, and it's Coriolis. Um, one, because I, oh. I hate the way that it's marketed. And it's like, it's Arabian Nights in space. And I'm like, oh, God. Right? It's not, and a, great it, it's not a great start. <laughs> um, but, you know, I kind of like pushed past that and kind of like read into it. And I admittedly have played a lot of it and really enjoy that game. Uh, not necessarily for the setting, but for the mechanics of the game. But in Coriolis, uh, for relig religion is have is very important to Coriolis and the characters. Um, and the game itself actually encourages you to experiment with how your character interacts with their faith. And you get experience at the end of every session for, you know, role-playing your faith in a way that you see fit. And you are always the judge of whether or not you gain that experience point. And it's never on the GM. Um, but what's interesting about Coriolis is that um, a, like it separates the mechanics and the setting. So you, if you don't like the setting, you can play it with the mechanics uh, and take away religion entirely. But if you go with the setting in the book, and I've pulled it up actually, just to make sure I was remembering this correct. Um, what they've actually done is they've talked about uh, their religion and how there are taboos within the religion. Uh, there are, you know, religious icons or material culture associated with this religions. Um, there are places of faith. There is a hierarchy of religious practitioners. Um, but there are also things like local icons and superstitions um, that may uh, contrast the, the organized religion and coexist with them as well, uh, which I think is a really interesting step. Um, yeah. And Coriolis was honestly the first time that I thought about religion from a narrative perspective in a TTRPG, because up until that point, it was always like, choose your deity. I'm an elf, Coralon, there we go. 
and keep moving, right? <laughs> <laughs> in D and D, but Coriolis made me step back and think, like, okay, well, if I am worshiping the traveler, how how am I practicing this religion? Am I sharing my knowledge with others or am I making an effort as a worshiper of this icon, which is what they call the gods? Am I making an effort to learn from others? Am I making an effort to literally travel and learn from others? How, and, and, you know, have control over that from my own perspective. Um, Yeah. So my recommendation would be to at least look at Coriolis and see what you think, because I'm curious about what you, the audience members think. Uh, and if you have ideas about it or thoughts about it, uh, you can uh, tweet at me at Daniel H. Kwan or at AZNS Represent. Um, it's a game that, yeah, I know the Critical Read folks, we, we've talked about looking into it in 30 years when we finish Al-Kadim. And by we, <laughs> when you folks finish Al-Kadim. <laughs> um, you guys are on a 30-year plan? We're only on 11 years at our pace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say in the defense, Al-Kadim is a longer book than Karatur. It's also um, lower heavy on the top half. I think we're going to start making some headway when we get into a lot of the mechanical character creation stuff, because at that point, it's like, okay, there's one there's here's a couple of points that are kind of like they all lead to the same thing and why we think this is problematic or not, or maybe it's good or what have you. Um, That's very rare when it's actually good. But it does happen. <laughs> it, so, it does character happen. is kind of kind of the same way. It's just that in addition to often being bad, the lore is astonishingly sparse. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good way. It's it. it's like it's it's like there's no there's all there's like no lore, and when there is lore, it's either most of the time it's just hilariously bad. Yeah. When there's lore, you're like <laughs> Wait, did they just say that? <laughs> Sorry, people are talking about about my chocobo, and this this is Alpha from fourteen. Uh, so, more reason to play the Stormblood raid storyline because Alpha is the best. And what for about, po- podcast so, listeners, we're talking about a plush chocobo right now. Oh yes, uh, Miriam. What about you? Like, what do you? Uh, yeah, so this is sort of maybe slightly self indulgent because I'm doing a lot of work right now for upcoming seasons of things I'm in Uh, and one of the games I'm GMing um, as a sort of we're going to do it for this season only is Monster of the Week Um, and it's set in Sarzamin the campaign setting I'm writing the thing is Monster of the Week by itself um, if you take away me trying to run it in Sarzamin it's pretty good for it's the genre it's trying to portray which is that kind of uh, TV supernatural Buffy the Vampire Slayer you know that entire genre it's pretty good for if you want to play that genre the issue and this is where because I will there there's a divine character and there's a, another character and they're all kind of like main characters in a way um but it's very heavily religion tied because there's a concept of the end of days of the apocalypse of a divine agent of a summoned agent playbook which essentially heralds the end of days and it's like i had to spend a good chunk of our character creation thing adapting it to serzamine which doesn't deal with these concepts there can't i mean it's not that there isn't these high um divine cos- cosmological 
stakes, it's very different and having that entire discussion. So it's one of those things where Monster of the Week has sort of faith in it because it plays on a very uh, common genre. At the same time, if you want to play something that's not Christian Judaic sort of a thing, you have to really heavily modify it. And then this sort of small little segue, which might seem like a shameless plug, and I didn't mean it to be, but okay, here we go, um, is <laughs> with uh, Serzamine, when I'm writing cosmology, I always emphasize on the fact that um, even though I have these cosmological lore, it's interpreted very differently amongst every community. So do, yeah. do okay. not assume one, one lore is, supersedes another. One lore to rule them all. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that, that, that said, <laughs> that said, we are, we are, uh, we have, we're running out of time. So I would love, Mariam, this is your first time on the wrap up. I would love for you to shamelessly plug whatever you've got going on. What have you got going on and where can people find you on the internet? Oh boy. All right. Uh, this is like those radio ads where you say everything in like the last 10 seconds. Um, <laughs> um, so you can find me on Twitter at media underscore junkie. Uh, I am currently uh, involved in uh, two very big projects that I am super excited about. One is the Mustafa's podcast is back with a season two cast. We just had that announcement. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, and we're going to be shooting, uh, sorry, shooting, recording um our first sort of cast ama this weekend actually so super excited for that if you have any questions uh dm me what do you want to know about the cast what do you want to know about the podcast uh dm me or dm um our podcast twitter um and the second thing is uh utopia will be coming out with a, a bunch of new shows early march uh super happy about that and one of them being season two of kahania which is another game i'm running um and season two will be monster of the week um and we have an in a lot of reveals that are going to be coming up in the next week or so so not to spoil that either. Noise. Yeah. So look, Barum, you're doing so much incredible stuff. Um, I'm, I'm super grateful that, you know, you've taken the time to join us, you know, for the wrap up, but also that you, you, know, you are with us tomorrow again for yeah. Critical Read al Oh yeah, and I'm here tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> at at, at I'm noon. So sorry. Yeah, at, at at noon Eastern, that's okay. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, you could check it out at youtube.com slash AZNS represent. Um, let's go with Austin next. Austin, what have you got going on? All right. Um, I uh, My name is Austin McKenzie. I am the uh, owner, lead designer, financier, everything for Valorous Games, which is my uh, my independent project where I decided to distill the essence of like playing a TTRPG that's like playing an anime. So like, you know, shouting attack names and actually getting mechanically rewarded and, you know, building kind of whatever the hell you want. Uh, so Valor, that's my game. Uh, you can find more, uh, more about that at valorousgames.com. So that's V-A-L-O-R-O-U-S-G-A-M-E-S.com. Um, also we'll be announcing pretty soon, hopefully like today or tomorrow, we're going to be starting a, uh, an actual play of the uh, supplement that I have coming out and wanted to have come out a lot, a long time ago, but then like everything went wrong and then the pandemic happened. So more things went wrong um, of best in class, which is going to be our first official campaign um, 
uh, campaign supplement that you can play without even owning the core book. So we're going to be kind of running through that so you can check us out. Uh, but yeah, that, that's me. I'm, I, I just, I do a lot of Valor and then I work so that I can pay to do more Valor. That's awesome. That's awesome. And of course you are a part of our Asia's Read Kara tour cast. Yes. Uh, and your first episode with us was the last episode. It's the latest yeah, one yeah. I saw. That episode got real deep. That episode got real deep. Um, a good app. That was that was great. Really I dug like, into the infrastructure. The, the, the map. <laughs> I like how we like. Did we get deep, or did I just scream about roads for half an hour? There's well, no I th- roads. I think you've established, Austin, that that is going to be. You're the map person. Be like, Austin, where's this on the map? Yeah. Navigator. Navigator. I like how we reeled you in by saying it's all jokes and then it got like really serious. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out yeah. we tell all of our jokes while crying. Like, yeah. <laughs> welcome to Acer Percent. Um, Jeez. <laughs> so, how about you, Emma? Where can people find you on the internet? What have you got going on? Uh, yeah. My name is Emma Yasumi. Uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, Starchiologist. So I cram starch and archaeology together because, hey, I'm an archaeologist. And I was on here today because Daniel asked me to talk about <laughs> how like religion is treated by archaeologists because it's really helpful when talking about world building because archaeology is essentially world building based on like material remains. But yeah, we didn't do that. So maybe another time <laughs> because there are things like archaeology got it real wrong for a real long time and they are things that i see in ttrpgs that i need people to not do in the same way so maybe that's what we're gonna do next friday maybe then. next time otherwise i'm working on my thesis i am teaching classes at the university of toronto and not very active on twitter but you feel free to come <laughs> come check me out on twitter if you want <laughs> Clearly, Emma, you just need to post like a cat picture a day. That'll that's you know great. I could do content. that. <laughs> I am very excited to do a debrief with with you about our D D game and Yam, the third level Tabaxi Rogue. Yeah, we've level also been three. planning to do a debrief about the L five R stream. Yep. And I've kind of been secretly, not so secretly, working on like a homebrew of L five R that I would like to run by you at some point. <laughs> you, what? <laughs> Yo, yes. These are things I'm doing. <laughs> but yeah, that's me. And, and you know what was funny is so like every time you're on, Emma, you're always like, I'm new to the TTRPG scene. I'm not doing much. And you're like, I'm rewriting L5R. <laughs> I have what I think is a really good idea, but I don't know. So I need to throw it out. Actually, Emma, I, I would love to take a look at that because I, I, I played the hell out of the card game when I was a kid. And yeah. And like, I kind of got some of the lore, but not a lot. So I didn't see like all of the yikes. So I, I am yeah. I'm super into that. Well, I'm going to try and rein in the yikes and, you know, fuck the lore and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep there... it like L5R, but you know, with a twist. There were a couple of yikes in L5R. No, just a couple of yikes. Just a few. Just a few. <laughs> so yeah, anyways. Uh, well, that's, that's a, that's a, that's like a, bombshell of a news piece i'm so excited to see that emma that's that's fantastic <laughs> yeah, I, I am amused with my own idea so we'll see if it's okay I, i'm imagining like, you i'm imagining like you at night writing and just be like <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i can see that <laughs> and, and i'm imagining like hunter your cat is there and then emma's just like 
crab clan. Haha, <laughs> taint. <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> how do you, so Steve's next. Steve, how do you top that? I don't. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. if, people, if people just want to see me uh, just talk about myself and how I am like working through the quarantine and how I'm trying to like focus on body, body positivity uh through these trying trying times and how i've like got like a good power belly going on uh you can follow me at d-e-e-m steve on twitter um and later on i'll be talking as we get more details on unbreakable volume two uh, which i'm editing for which is the second volume of course of a uh it's, it's several volumes actually on uh one shot adventures uh, for a variety of RPG enthusiasts, all written by Asian voices, all edited by Asian voices, and illustrated by Asian voices, and I'm very excited and and feel very blessed to to be part of it. So yeah, follow me on Twitter. Sick. How about you, Agatha? You can find me um, still on Wednesdays. We have two more sessions of Balk Bayan Into the Dark. Um, things are really ramping up. Things are getting serious. There was an arena battle that became really sad <laughs> um, <laughs> in the previous session. So uh, check us out. Uh, and also, the videos are being uploaded onto YouTube. So if you ever want to check out the system and how it's run, do it up. Asians Rep uh, YouTube channel. And also follow me on Twitter at Mighty Shrimp with two Ys. I post about games and also my cats and also memes that I think are funny. So <laughs> if you care about any Solid. of those things. And food. And don't forget food. Food. And also like casting calls or idea. Like I'm looking for more ideas for the next thing that we're going to have on Wednesdays. So if there's a game that you really want to see, tweet at me. I'll put it on a list. Heck yeah. Um, and then, of course, Agatha, you are also on Asians Read Care Tour now alongside yeah. Austin. It's true. My picture <laughs> isn't in that the visual. I know. It's in the but, new one. It's in the new I, one. But I exist. You do exist. Confirmed. She was there. Yeah, <laughs> confirmed. Agatha yeah. exists. Um, <laughs> so I'm super excited you're, you're also on that because I got to say, I think with each episode of, you know, of character we're getting better and then each episode of alcadim i'm just learning so goddamn much with that stream it's it's so good it hits me so hard i'm like sitting oh, here he amazing producing and just being like wow and we have uh you know a guest joining uh, our cast this saturday for alcadim and that's safia and i am very excited for safia to join us um cannot wait um in terms of my stuff uh my name is daniel you can find me on twitter at daniel h kwan uh, in terms of stuff I've got going on, uh, I'm one of the editors for Unbreakable as well, uh, but not Volume 2, but Unbreakable um, Revolution. Uh, I was a writer for the uh, <laughs> the upcoming um, Candlekeep Mysteries book that Wizards of the Coast is putting out. It's a new D&D 5e book that comes out March 16th. Um, I got to see my preview of it, and I am just... I'm, I'm very proud of how I work... I was able to work within their structure and um, to minimize as much care to or harm as possible. I, um, I, I know you have like hundreds and hundreds of NDAs on you, but Daniel, can we get like a little, 
little, little yeah, yeah, for sure. Of um, what we can, if I can candle keep because I I'm see, always yeah. trying pulling. Yeah, yeah. Information I, I'll, out of you. yeah. I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about it. Um, I uh, actually I'm doing an interview trip for Dragon Talk next Tuesday as well. Um, so the uh, for candle keep, I was very adamant that um, Caratour, the words Caratour will not be in my adventure and they are not. Um, the only Forgotten Realm sort of word that's really Asian identifying that's in it is show. It does show up once. Um, and th that's that's the, the consequences of having to work within that structure. Um, I am super happy with the art. Um, I uh, Wizards sent me the preview of my adventure and I looked at the art and I was like, damn, these some powerful Asian characters. Um, yeah. Nice. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, they're dope. And I got a really good laugh out of this too. I, I, was, I was actually cackling for like 10 minutes. Um, the map that they used is very much, very much like a tidied up version of the map that I drew. So I like to say that like I drew a map for this as well. And I like they took my, my shitty map draft and actually used it. It looks good, um, but it, <laughs> but in my head, I'm gonna say I also did cartography for a D and D book. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got that next Tuesday. So on the 23rd of February, uh, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, um, I'm gonna be on the Roll Twenty Twitch channel for their indie showcase. Um, B is the GM, and they are going to be running little game called Ross Rifles that I wrote. Nice. Um, hey. little game. Uh, so I get to I get to actually play my game <laughs> instead of just running it. So I'm very excited to 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 do that. The the cast is just can't wait. Can't wait. Um, See, so yeah, I've got that going on. I've got one other NDA project that I think is going well, it's coming out this year, so it's got to be announced soon. Um, when that is finally announced, I will finally um, go into greater detail about what I want to do with that as it pertains to Asians represent. But at this point, I will say I'm more excited about this project that I'm working on than I was for Candlekeep. Ooh. And it's just, I cannot Yay. wait for it to come out. Uh -huh. But yeah, I, I, I'm bound by NDA. Can't say anything about that, but let me promise you, it is going to be dope. There's hella Asian representation. Um, oh, yeah. And that and means we're going to do some stuff here. For Ross Rif Rifles, that it was one of the first PBTA games I ever played, and that was at I forget which con it was, but I just remember it was like you it was it was at it was at Metatopia 2018. Yes. Um, it was amazing. That game was amazing. Thank you so much for a writing it and b like running it, and I got to play it. That's thank you. That beads a lot. <laughs> Sorry, I'm taking it back. That's very kind of you, Marion. Thank you. Um, if you folks are interested in Ross Rifles, you could buy it on Drive Through RPG. We are selling a very limited run of physical copies at DundasWestGames.com, the most Canadian Toronto, <laughs> the most Toronto game company ever. Um, the logo is a pigeon. <laughs> the logo is a pigeon. <laughs> them, them, them sky rats. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can head to DundasWestGames.com uh, to buy that stuff. But yeah, um, Emma, Mariam, Austin, thank you for joining us as guests for this episode of The Wrap-Up. I think we're going to have to continue uh, and do another one, a follow-up. Um, yeah. We're all in the same chat, so we're going to figure out uh, what's happening next. Uh, I'm Daniel. 
And thank you folks for tuning into the wrap up. And if you liked it in audio format, let me know. And maybe we'll try to do this more often. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.